all over Australia, and it brought him a world record for the longest and the fastest run in the history of running. Uh, his first accomplishment was coming to 17,071 kilometers. Yes, I'm not joking. 17,071 kilometers. And that broke American Robert Sweetgall's world record. He continued on. He set five different records by running a total of 19,031 kilometers. That's a long way, people. Now, under the rules which govern record-making, Parsons couldn't miss a single day of running. He had to run a minimum of 20 kilometers a day, and they had, they had to be run each day. This Australian gentleman ran for over a year to reach his record. He wore out about a dozen pairs of running shoes. He resold some of them up to 40 times. During that time, he suffered, obviously, you would think, from dehydration, other things like that. He even had a bout of a virus. Yet, he continued on. He ran, and he ran, and he ran, until he finally ended when he re reached Brisbane, Australia. Today, we're going to look at a race. A race that every Christian is in. It's a race that's a lot like the one Parsons ran. Not, not a physical race, mind you. Not one that brings blisters to the feet. Aren't you thankful for that? Uh, not one that, uh, that uh, is, is, if you would, something you physically have to run daily and get out of breath and everything else. But it is a run, a race, that is to be done daily, every day, and it's to continue throughout your entire life. The race is found in Hebrews chapter 12, where God tells us this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. In those four verses, God talks about this race that you and I, if you're part of the family of God, are in. You say, well, pastor, why are you going to deal with the race talked about in Hebrews chapter 12? Well, a number of reasons. First, because a few weeks ago, we preached from James chapter 1. And in James chapter 1, we learned three things that we challenged you to be uh, practicing regularly uh, during the week of meetings. In fact, I hope you continued this morning and that you will continue to do uh, what was encouraged in that passage. Three things. First was to lay apart all sin or to stop that daily before uh, you would come to the services when the word of God is preached, you would take time to deal with any known sin in your life, to confess it before God, and to have a heart that is ready and prepared to hear what God has for you. The second thing we saw in James chapter 1 was that we needed to come with a surrendered heart, uh, that we needed with, to receive with meekness the word of God, which is able to save the soul. 
And then we saw in James chapter 1, we need to be a doer or start. So stop, surrender, start. Those three things. Now, it's not just because we preach those things and Hebrews 12 deals with being a doer. But we also, this past week, have been challenged in just about, no, in every service, about being a doer in some way. Um, we have been told throughout this past week how to run. And it's very fitting that we look in Hebrews chapter 12 to learn a little bit more about how to actually do it. You see, the week of meetings that we just had have called us to be serious about running the race uh, in a number of areas. Family and home, Wednesday night. Um, uh, we were encouraged and challenged about the matter of being a witness for Jesus Christ, part of the race. Uh, we were challenged on Friday about uh, etiquette uh, and five different things, I believe it was, or four uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, and so all of these things have to do with a Christian running, running the race of the Christian life. And night after night, we were challenged dealing with all aspects of the race. So Hebrews 12 is appropriate today because it's going to give us the how to run and, uh, and what God wants from us now. And what do I do? I heard a lot of things. I need to change. Okay, then what do we do now? Uh, what does God want from me today? These things need to be considered. Yeah, if I were to describe what revivals are about, I, I'd kind of explain it as far as running uh, two different ways. Um, the first would be this, that revivals help us see if we're running or if we've stopped. They do. Uh, each service uh, is many, uh, often a reminder about whether or not I am running effectively or running in the race that God has called me to run in and God has put me in. Um, and so revivals uh, are an opportunity, if you would, to wake up runners that have stopped, that maybe are sitting down on the, on the ground and maybe even moping because they don't think they can do it. And a revival many times just kind of, you know, gives them a little kick, gives them a little, little bit of a, a wake-up call. Now, the second way I think we could re view revivals as, um, as far as running is concerned is that revivals reveal hill, hills that we've got to face. And hills that we've got to conquer and we've got to climb if we're going to move forward and we're going to keep running the race for God. Now, I'm no runner, but I know this. I know that when I walk, there's some directions I don't want to walk. And the reason I don't want to walk in those directions is because there's hills. And because I find that, you know, I would rather just walk on level ground. I don't know about you, wouldn't you? Rather walk on level ground? Uh, and some way, sometimes I would prefer to go one way because it seems like it's downhill more than it's uphill, even though I know it's not. I mean, come to the same place at the end, at least our house, you know? But the idea is, at least as far as I'm concerned, there are ways that are a little bit more trying than others. And there are some hills I'd rather not go up. And I would think the same is true for a runner. I would think there are times when you're running, if you've been running for a while, especially if you're in some marathon race, and you're like at the 10th mile, and then all of a sudden you know there's this like huge hill coming up, and you can see it. All right, I'm gonna, I, I won't ask Brother Flynn, but I can tell he's smiling. You, you think, man, I don't know if I can make this. Now, I know you're not supposed to think that way, or you're going to be in real trouble in the race. But I think revivals in some ways tell us, hey, 
there's a hill and you got to conquer this. And you can't get on a bus and go up to the top of the hill and then start running again. you got to face this. And you've got to do something about this. And this is part of the race. And so just like hills are part of, of walking or hills are part of running, so, so there are things that we've got to face, we've got to plan, we've got to attack, and we've got to get up if we're going to win the victory. And I, I think that Hebrews chapter 12 is a great passage. So this morning, get on your running shoes. I didn't wear mine, but get on your running shoes. I didn't wear my walking shoes. <clears throat> All right. Uh, but let's get on our running shoes. Let's get back in the race and let's how, learn how to conquer the upcoming hill. Or let's, let's get back up and get going at doing the things that God wants us to do. And that's what Hebrews chapter 10 or chapter 12 is going to help us with uh, today. Now, there are a lot of things to be said about the race. Uh, just in the text that I read for, for you a few moments ago, but you know, as I was studying this passage, I realized that Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the, the message doesn't start there. You, you see the word wherefore, and you know very clearly from the first phrase that the passage goes back at least to chapter 11. And let me tell you, there are some great truths in Hebrews chapter 11 from those who have, who have already run and are gone on that can teach us about running the race. But there's something that I also realized is that you have to go back actually to chapter 10 and even before that, but chapter 10 really in earnest starts talking about this race. And although the word race isn't talked about in Hebrews chapter 10, there are principles found in that chapter that help people understand the importance of and what to do as far as the race is concerned. So, if we're going to understand Hebrews 12, we really have to look back and learn some of the lessons that are found in the chapters previous to it. So, this morning, I've got three chapters to preach. And guess what? I can't do it. So, here's my challenge for you this morning. I haven't even gotten into the message, all right? This is all introductory. Is that discouraging? All right. No. And for you, all right. So, so here's the challenge. I, I really feel like we need... Uh, four or five services in order to come to a, and grasp the truths, the wonderful truths about how to run effectively. So this morning, before we even get into the message, I want to ask you to be committed to be in the service tonight because we're going to look at this race tonight. To be in the service next Sunday morning because we're going to look at the race next Sunday morning. And to be in the service next Sunday night because we're going to take at least those four services to look at just this wonderful picture God gives us in these three chapters about running the race of the Christian life. You say, well, pastor, I don't know if I can do that. I think you can, because a lot of you were here this last week. <laughs> so don't go tell me you can't come and you can't be here. You can make time for what's important. And there's nothing more important than running the race of the Christian life. So, would you make that determination? That, look, I understand there's things I'm going to hear this morning that are going to kind of lay the foundation. Uh, in fact, I want you to see the what and why this morning, and then we're going to get into the how tonight, and we'll continue with the how for probably three services, maybe even four, because there's so much here that can help your life. 
So I am. You know what? Tonight is the most important service. I just, just had to say it. It's the most important service you will ever attend. And guess what? Tonight, I'll tell you that next Sunday morning is the most, oh, okay, all right. No, um, so you get the idea. I just want to ask you to be committed. Would you do that? And would you just ask God to help you? Because I, I am convinced that these chapters will help you in running the race. And there's nothing more important. That's what the Christian life is all about. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us, all right? Father, we are very grateful that you've given us your word, that it's true, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and that it has tools to help us run the race of life. And I'm asking you, Father, I'm asking you to work in the hearts of God's people this morning and that they would accept the challenge and that they would determine with all their ability to be part of all of the services where we're going to be dealing with running the race. And I pray that these things, though maybe not revolutionary, that these things would encourage them and remind them there's hope, there, there's victory, that running the race is possible, and, that, uh, and may they get tools that will help them run and run effectively. And for that, uh, we'll thank you. Lord God, we need you this morning. I need your help that I might present uh, the what and the why. And, um, and may these things then clearly drive us to determine that we're going to run the race that you have put us in. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I also did one other thing. Not only did I want to give you a challenge, but I also made up outlines. And I don't do that on Sunday mornings. I understand. But I, I again, am so convinced that this is important for you. I just want to, I want to make them available. So you can do what you want. You can throw it out if you want. Pastor, you're not supposed to do that on Sunday morning. So what? I did. And, uh, and if you want an outline, that's fine. If you don't want an outline, that's up to you. That is your decision. I have found that many times if I write things down, it helps me tremendously to remember them. That's why I often will take notes in a, a service time. Uh, I'll write some things down. Sometimes I'll go to a passage. I'll, I'll write down a little note that I need to go check this out further. Uh, sometimes I write the outline if it's uh, so given to me. And I want you to have these things so you can say, someone taught me, someone helped me to know what I need to know. And you see it says part one at the top because <laughs> there are, is more than one part. All right, so this morning, let's learn the what and why, and then we'll get to the how. And the what, uh, we'll explain it this way, the race expected, the race exhorted, the race expressed. We find in Hebrews chapter 12, these verses that we've just read, that God expects us to run the race of the Christian life. Do you know, before we even get back to chapter 10, there's a few basic concepts that maybe are important to mention. First is, God assumes that you know you're in a race right now. Do you understand that? When he comes to Hebrews chapter 12, he doesn't say, hey, I want you to know there is a race and, um, and it's a race you're supposed to run. No, he said, let us run. He assumed that you know already that you as a Christian have been put in a race, that it's important for you to run this race. It's not, it's not as if 
Look, you're on the sidelines and the Lord is saying, okay, come on now, let's get in the race. Let's understand there's a race here and it would be a good thing. Get signed up and then, and then enter the race. Pay the entrance fee and then get in the race. All right, that is not what God is saying in Hebrews chapter 12. He's saying this, you are in a race if you're saved. If you're part of the family of God, you right now are in a race and you are either sitting or running, or standing, or running, or going backwards, or running forward. You see, you are in the race. The question is, in essence, what are you doing in that race? So let us run. That's what he tells us in this passage. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, by the way, he assumes as well that you know it's a difficult race. Because he tells us there's things that we got to lay aside. He tells us we need to look to Jesus. And, and he talks about being wearied and fainting in, in our minds. And so he understands that this is a battle that we're going to face. And that to run the race, it's not easy. I, I hate running. I will readily admit that. Actually, quite honestly, I hate walking. But I walk. Thankfully, I don't have to run. So I don't. I just don't like those things. I don't know about you. Maybe you're like afterwards, oh, man, I just love it. And I know some people who do. And they're crazy people. I'm sorry. I don't care for doing those things, but I, I do them because I see the need behind them. And I understand that even though I don't want to, it's good for me. And it's important for me. And, and Christian... Look, whether you want to or not, it's important for you to run. And whether it's fun or not, it's important for you to run. And whether it's difficult or not, God assumes you understand it's going to be hard to push yourself to run when you don't feel like running, to deal with things you don't feel like dealing with, to put aside things that you would rather do. These things are all part of running the race for God. And God, God wants you to understand, and I think he assumes you know this already, that it's a difficult race and it's going to require sacrifice on your part. But he still tells you, run. Get out there whether you like it or not. You know, something else, that if you glance at this verse, it's all preliminary, I know, you're not told what the race is about. You know, as a Christian, you might even be saying, well, what race is set before me? I didn't know I was I didn't know I was running. Well, if you didn't know you're running, you're running if you're a Christian. So the question is, do you even know what the race is? Do you know what's going on? And that is answered actually in the passage all around us. Uh, someone might say this, well, pastor, the race is faith. Um, well, I, that's a valid assumption because Hebrews chapter 11 deals with uh, many people who had faith and they're called witnesses in verse 1. And faith is needed for the race. It will help us compete in the race as we ought, but the race doesn't seem to be faith. The end of verse 4 seems to give us a hint because he says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So we might say, and I think we could probably say from, based on verse 4, that the race has something to do with fighting against sin. Th that makes sense, doesn't it? Well, let me share what it is. The race is, well, we'll put it this way, the race to holiness 
or heaven? Write both those things down in letter A. The race to holiness or heaven? Because that is what we find in the chapters, in the verses surrounding the, our main text in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, let's take a moment and, uh, and look at verse 10. In verse 5 of, of chapter 12, I, we're going to get to chapter 10, by the way. In verse 5 of chapter 12, uh, the writer starts talking about and dealing with the subject of uh, chastening. Now, no one likes chastening. You know what? I, when I was a kid, I never enjoyed spankings. If Dad said, go to our room, go, go, to, go to our room, um, I knew what that meant. I knew I wasn't going to get away with anything, and I knew that I wasn't going to like what was coming. Okay? Can any of you relate to that? I had, a, I had a dad and mom who believed the Bible. Now, I wasn't happy about that as a kid. I'm happy about that now, but I wasn't happy about that as a kid because they believe what the Bible says about punishing and, and correcting your children, that the Bible teaches, as we heard this past week, that you're to suspank, that the rod is what brings a change of heart and mind. It's not timeouts. It's not a bunch of other things that God's method for dealing with and correcting wrong in the home and with children is a matter of spanking. It works. It will work. If it doesn't work for you, you need to change what you're doing. And you heard some good things about that this past week and some encouraging things and some challenging things perhaps. But God talks about chastening in these verses. And he's, in fact, he even says in these verses that no one likes it. But do you know what he says the reason of chastening is all about? Look in verse 10. For they verily, talking about our parents, by the way, uh, a few, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. I was so glad to read those words in Scripture. You know what? I realize that now my dad enjoyed spanking me. No, no, that wasn't the idea. Um, he does say, though, that sometimes parents don't correct for the right reason necessarily. They did it sometimes for their, uh, for their own pleasure. You know why? Because they knew if they spanked you, you would do right. And you did. Do you know why kids don't do right today? Because spanking's been thrown out the door. And most people don't do it. And it's no wonder you have kids that pitch a fit in stores on a regular basis. And parents can't get them to do anything. And parents bribe them and do all sorts of other things. Okay, that, I wasn't intending to get on that this morning because I got to get to the race. But then notice at the end of verse 10, but he... God does it for our profit. Well, why does God do it? Why does God chasten? Why does God do this, which is part of the race? That we might be partakers, say the last three words, of his holiness. Do you know what? Do you know where, where the end line is of this race that you and I are in, that God put you in, that you're to run in? Holiness. And until you accomplish that, you're not done. It is clear from this passage and from the text that the matter of holiness is an important subject to God and the, from the rest of the Bible as well. Look, if you would, at verse 14 when it, where he's continuing to still deal with the subject and he says, follow peace with all men and what? Holiness, uh, without which no man shall see the Lord. So the race is holiness. Um, and God tells us that, or the finish line, if you would, is holiness. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And you know what's interesting to me is that God's command hasn't changed 
for thousands of years. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, in 1 Peter, he said, as it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So when Peter said that that's God's command for us, he was quoting what was found in the Old Testament. And do you know that God a number of times sold the children of Israel, their job, their, their focus in life was to be holy. Because he said the same thing, be ye holy as I am holy. He said it in the book of Leviticus. He said it a couple different times in the Old Testament. Uh, the passage that I have uh, in my notes, I have a Le Leviticus 11.44. For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am am holy. It's a main emphasis of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Ephesians 1, 4, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. A powerful challenge. Take a moment to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If we're going to understand the race that we're in, we've got to understand what it's about, and what the goal line is, and how, what we need to accomplish. And so, 2 Corinthians 7 shares with us, once again, the same truth. Verse 1 says this, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 22 says, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the, the end, everlasting life. Now, go back to Hebrews chapter 12. Actually, go to Hebrews chapter 10 because I said it starts back in Hebrews chapter 10. You don't find the word holy in Hebrews 10 and verse 22, but you find the concept of holiness certainly mentioned in this verse. Because God says this, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, bodies washed with pure water. Now, he is talking about just, he's, he's really has been weaving a beautiful story we're going to look at and we'll mention in, in a short while because it's the second point in the outline. But uh, here in verse, 20, uh, in verse 22 of chapter 10, I'm sorry, I lost my place. In verse 22, he is sharing with them the importance of them uh, having a heart that's sprinkled from an evil conscience, a clear mind, if you would, and then their bodies washed. And he's referring to having a pure life, a clean life, a life that is usable for God. And so ultimately, if we want to say, what is the end line? What's the finish line of this race? Uh, it's not faith. Faith will get us there. Faith is an important element in it. It's holiness. That is the end line, and that's what we're running for. And until we get there, we got to keep running. But you know, we could also say heaven. The finish line is heaven. Why? Well, because that's a subject that's mentioned repeatedly. Uh, if you go to chapter 12, uh, once again, and you look at verses 2 and 3, he said we're to look at unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Okay, what was the completion of his race? Well, look at verse 2. He is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, finish line, we could describe his holiness because it's talked about throughout these chapters. We could also say the finish line is heaven because heaven is talked about. It's talked about in chapter 11. For in verse 14, for they that say such things declare plainly they seek a country. 
And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have, re- uh, have had opportunity have to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. So this race, we could say as well, is heaven. It's until we get to, to heaven, we're supposed to be running. Uh, back in chapter 10 and verse 34, Uh, The Bible says this, For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing that in yourselves ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. So these people looked and they said, All right, that's the goal. That's where I'm going. I got a race to run. And they allowed things to happen in their life because we got this race to run. We got this place to go to that God has prepared for us. So, Holiness or heaven, any way you want to describe it. In fact, I put it this way. You know how automobile manuals, they'll tell you to change the oil or do maintenance. They'll say like 5,000 miles or six months, whichever comes first. Okay, so, so let's put it this way. The race for the Christian life begins at salvation. It goes until holiness or heaven, whichever comes first. Got it? Now, you got that clearly in your mind? That's the race. Now, Chapter 10, again, and look at verse 23. Because in verse 22, 23, and 24, he gives us some lettuce. I shouldn't mention food, I know. But he gives us three lettuce, heads of lettuce. There you go, all right? Three heads of lettuce. And the first one, verse 22, is holiness. But look at verse 23. He said, another lettuce, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. The race is holding. The race is holding. It's not just holy as heaven, or the end line is holy as heaven, but maybe we could say it this way, and maybe this is going to the area of faith as well. It's holding on. It's just keeping on no matter what. It's, um, it's grabbing hold. Have you ever been in a difficult situation and you wanted to walk away from it? You just wanted to walk away from it all? Some people do that when troubles come. Some people... When problems come, they stop going to church, they stop praying, they stop reading their Bible, they stop living for God. And the writer of Hebrews understood that temptation, and he urged them not only to have this this end line in mind and keep going because of that, but then he just told them to hold fast the profession that they've already made. Now, he wasn't saying keep your salvation, because you can't keep your salvation. God does that. Paul said he was persuaded that God would keep that which he committed unto him until that day. He knew that God is the one who does the keeping, and I am so thankful for that because if I did the keeping, I would have lost my salvation a bunch of times since the time when I first trusted Christ at age seven. But the fact of the matter is, when I trusted Christ, God has done the keeping ever since. So that ever since I was age seven, even though I haven't lived a perfect life, God has kept me. I am part of his family. But there is a responsibility Christians have here, and the picture is uh, to stay with it or to continue on, uh, to, just, to just keep on. To, to, um, I, you know what? We need to hold it down. I kind of maybe picture it this way. You're, you're walking along. You're at the edge of a steep drop-off, a cliff maybe, and your foot slides out from under you, and you start to head toward th- that, that drop-off. Okay, panic time, right? So you're just grabbing for anything and you happen to grab hold of a a root from a tree. And man, 
I mean, you are just, that is all that's keeping you from going over the edge. What would you do? And what would people, rescuers, tell you? Okay, you know what they're going to tell you? Do you need it? Like, duh, I don't need anyone to tell me this. Hold on! Right? It's like, yeah, yeah, thank you. I needed that advice. You know, you're going to be doing that because you see the great necessity. And the picture God gives us here is that we need to hold on to our faith, our walk with God, and not let things slide. Don't give up the battle. We need to do what... um, Henry Dempsey did. Henry Dempsey was a pilot. He was flying from Portland, Maine to Boston. And he heard an unusual noise at the back of this uh, small aircraft. It was a commuter flight. He turned the controls over to his co-pilot. He went back to check it out. And when he got to the tail section of the plane, the plane hit an air pocket and Dempsey was thrown against the rear door. And he discovered the source of the mysterious noise they were hearing. The rear door hadn't been closed properly. And when he hit it, it flew open. Serious situation. He was instantly sucked out of the jet. The co-pilot, seeing a red light that indicated an open door, radioed the nearest, nearest airport and he requested permission to make an emergency landing. He also reported the pilot had fallen out of the plane and he requested that a helicopter would search that area of the ocean. Obviously, you understand the reason why. But after the plane landed, they found Henry Dempsey holding on to the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Somehow, in the whole thing, he caught hold of the ladder and he held on for 10 minutes as the plane flew at 200 miles an hour at an altitude of 4,000 feet. And then at landing, he kept his head from hitting the runway and they said it was about 12 inches from the ground. It took airport personnel several minutes to pry Dempsey's fingers from the ladder. Holding fast is easily understood when you, when you picture that in your mind. Isn't it? Look, if we're going to run and run effectively, we've got to understand where the finish line is, and then we've got to just hold fast the profession. And God lays that out for us in this passage. But can I share one other truth in this first one? The race demands help. You see, there's not just two lettuces, two heads of lettuce in verse 22 and 23. There's a third head of lettuce. Look at verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. The race demands helping. Every Christian is in a race themselves. Hey, listen, the person next to you is in the the race if they're part of the family of God. We're all in this race. We're all, we've heard this so much, I'm just kind of sick of it. We're all in this together. Haven't you heard that? I mean, it's like, I don't want to hear that again, okay? But God says it, so I got to bring it out. We're all in this together, but not COVID stuff, all right? Um, We are all in, if you're part of the family of God, you're in this race I'm in this race. We all have to run. And what he brings out, and I have never seen these verses in light of what he's dealing with in this passage, but it's a wonderful truth. He is saying that you need church. You need church. 
He says, let us consider one another and provoke one another to love and to good works. You see that in the verses that follow. It's the third let us in this, in this section. And it reminds us, look, look, other people are running. And if they're going to run and run effectively, God says they need help. You're not the only one. Let me tell you, you're not the only one has, who has to ask themselves this morning, am I running? You're not the only one who may have to pick yourself up because you realized this past week you've tripped. You are not the only one in this room whom God spoke to last week. I'm thankful because that means I'm not the only one. You're not the only one who has hills to climb. You're not the only one who have, have battles to face and struggles to endure through in your race. Every Christian in this room does. Every Christian. And if the Bible is true, the people in this church need you here. They need you here on a regular basis. And they need you to be more interested than just coming and hearing a message and going your way. They need you to get to know people and encourage them. They need you to invest in them, to realize we're all in this together. We're all running. We have all experienced failures and, and we have all fallen at times. We all have hills that we have to climb. We all have things that we've got to face in this race in order to succeed and get to the end. And so the race demands that we see the need to help one another. And I'm afraid sometimes we've just become a people who only think about ourselves. And, and maybe even we get discouraged because that's all we're doing. Because we haven't realized that, um, that maybe our neighbor, our, our, our neighbor at church here, the one sitting on the same row, that maybe this week they struggled with the very same temptation that we have. That they fought with the same difficulties that we have faced. We fail to realize that uh, we're not the only one in the situation that we're in. And other people have gone through it or been through it before. And that the truth of the matter is, if I was getting to know people and I was investing in people, I would find out what their needs are and maybe be able to share mine so that we could pray for, care for, help and encourage one another to run this race. Look, you're in a race. And there are other Christians in it. And I, I want you to know they need you. They do. We like to think we can make it on our own. But God says in this passage, that is not the case. Let me share with you very quickly the race enabled or entered. The race enabled or entered. Several hundred years before the birth of Jesus Christ, 
There was a crucial battle that occurred between the Greeks and the Persians. The battle was in, was in the plains of Marathon. The battle went on for hours and hours, as was often the case in war and battles in that day. And as was also the case of battles and wars, it was a fight to the finish. It was a do or die situation. You know, they didn't have battles where they went in and they did this and then they ran away. And then they did this, and they ran away, and then they, 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 they did this little thing and everything else. No, it was, when they battled, it was, a, it was a life or death matter. Now, sometimes they ended up running when they were losing, but uh, there was a good chance you were going to lose your life. This was a do-or-die battle, and that was the way it was here in the marathon plain. The Greeks were numerically uh, just... They were way, way below the enemy. They were underdogs, but they managed a tremendous tactical win that day. But there was a problem. In Greece, the Senate, the authority, the ruling body, was going to be making a, and having a vote that would ratify a treaty of appeasement with the Persians. But the Greeks had won. And they didn't want this done because it would mean servitude. It would mean that they would be giving up their, their right to autonomy and something had to be done and they couldn't get on their cell phones because they didn't have them. And, and they couldn't get on their computers and they couldn't even get on telegraph. You say, I don't even know what that is. Well, you've seen one of those old movies, right? They couldn't even use telegraph because none of that stuff was available. There was no way to let them know unless someone went. So the Greeks sent a runner. You know the story. Do you know why? Because there's an event in the Olympics every year called the, or every, every Olympics, the marathon. It was named after this because one of the soldiers in the Greek army in full battle gear ran 27 miles to give the news that they had won. Um, by the time the young man got to Athens, he had run a marathon, but that's where it came from. It is said he was totally spent. He literally ran himself to death. In his exhaustion, he uttered one word to the Athenians, victory. Let me tell you this, this morning, there's no need to let the Satan win in this race. There is no need to ratify a treaty of appeasement because God has provided for victory. You can run. The command in Hebrews 12, the instruction in verse 22, 23, and 24, which tell us to run the race in Hebrews chapter 10, is all predicated upon the chapters before this and starting in chapter 10 as well, where God tells us the victory's already won. You can win. You can run this marathon. You can be victorious. You can live the Christian life. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us how we got into the race. So let me share with you these verses. Again, I was going to just skip these, but they are tremendously encouraging because they give us the reason why we can run, why we should run. 
because Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. That's what Hebrews 12 says, and it's talked about here in chapter 10. Look in verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged would have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. You say, what in the world is going on? Well, you, you, you got to kind of understand that he was writing to Jews. Hebrews, he was writing to, right? Okay? And Jews understood the Old Testament law system. The Old Testament law required that every year there would be a sacrifice for sins. Every year, the high priest would make this sacrifice, and, and it, it pictures something that would come. And here's the reason why. In these verses, he said, there's nothing that can take away your sins. A sacrifice doesn't do it. A, a lamb being sacrificed. A ram being offered. Uh, uh, some, some ox being killed doesn't take away sins. It, it was picturing something that would come. There was a, a body, a person that would come who would, by the shedding of his blood, like a sacrifice that was made on the altar, once and for all put away sin. Precious picture in verses 1 to 6 is laid out for us. So every year when the Israelites came and offered this sacrifice for sin, you know what they were reminded? We're sinners. We're sinners. We're sinners. We're sinners. Every year the preacher preached the same message. You're a sinner. Why does the preacher always hit on that? You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Because, look, the, the sacrifices didn't take it away. They were just continual reminder. And here's the fact. You were disqualified from the race by sin. You were disqualified by sin. The sacrifice of a lamb didn't take their sin away permanently. Every year they were reminded of it. But Jesus was going to come once and for all and offer himself and that would remove sin so that man could be right with God and he could run. And he could run successfully. You are not running if you're not saved. If you're not saved, you're still in sin and God wants to forgive it. He's provided a way. You don't run to get saved. You run because you're saved. You can't run if you're not saved because you're a sinner and that sin has to be cared for and the only way for it to be cared for is through a blood sacrifice, a perfect blood sacrifice. The second truth we find in these verses is that you're declared eligible by sanctification. So everyone is disqualified because everyone's a sinner for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God says in verses 7 to 14 that, that those who have been saved are declared eligible by the process of sanctification. Uh, then I said, lo, I come, talking about Jesus, in the volume of the book it is written, to do thy will, O God. You know why Jesus came? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to be the lamb, that, the perfect lamb, the only lamb that could be sacrificed that would 
take away sin. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, the Bible tells us. In Hebrews chapter 9, see, this whole passage is dealing, these chapters before are dealing with this subject and just reminding us of the wonderful work Jesus Christ did. And, and Jesus came to do the will of God, and he did, took away the first, the Old Testament sacrifices, and he established the second. I am the sacrifice for sin. I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Believe in me. And when you do that, he sanctifies you. Look, if you would, at verse 10, by the which will, by the will of Jesus Christ, when he died and gave his life for our sins, talked about in Hebrews 12, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Every one of my sins, past, present, future, was taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. When God sees me, let me tell you, he sees me as holy. I don't live that way, and that's what running is all about. But God sees me as holy because Jesus took care of it all, once for all. He didn't have to be sacrificed every year. We, didn't have to, we don't have to come back and be reminded every year we are sinners and, and everything else. No, Jesus Christ took care of it once for all, and he declared us eligible to run the race when he sanctified us. And not only did he put us in the race, but he empowered us to be successful in this race. Look at chapter 7 of Hebrews and look at verse 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for, for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ allowed you to be declared eligible for the race when he sanctified you when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 10, verses 14 to 16. For by one offering he hath perfected them forever that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. Uh, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. That's chapter 10, by the way, verse 16 now. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in, in their uh, their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities, say it with me, will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. And now we have the privilege of entering into the holiest, holiest of holies because of Jesus Christ. Now, this is, this is the why. You've been delivered from sin. This is all the why. When you get saved, your sins are dealt with completely by the blood of a perfect sacrifice. They're remembered no more. Isn't that amazing? You know, I say, well, Lord, I did that last week. What? What'd you do? Hmm. I don't, I don't seem to recall that right now. Um, it's just wonderful. Now, someone that's been delivered... This is profound, right? Ought run. Look, the conclusion of chapter 10, starting in verse 22, all the way through to this wonderful portion in chapter 12 where he says, let us run, is all predicated on what Jesus has done for us. That's the why. You were disqualified. You couldn't run. 
You couldn't run and be holy. You couldn't run for heaven because you weren't headed there. And Jesus Christ took care of all of it by faith when you believed. Not when you did, when you believed. And when you believed, he sanctified you. He made you fit for the race and gave you all you need to run the race. So, run! Run! That is the instruction of Scripture. Perhaps it's not a perfect illustration, but imagine you had kidney disease. And you knew that you weren't going to make it, or it was going to be at least a very, very rough life until a donor stepped forward. And that someone heard of your plight, and they became a donor. So surgery is done. Your life is spared. You're doing real well. And maybe six months, a year later, the donor comes up to you, and he says, I'm trying to encourage people to be kidney donors. And there's a race for that purpose. And I'd like to ask you to run with me. Uh, perhaps both of us running would make a difference and encourage others. Now, let me ask you a question. Don't, don't you think that would be reasonable? I mean, they gave you a, a kidney. They risked at least a little bit of their life. You say, well, they're still alive. Okay, but, but still, wouldn't it be rude if you were able for you to ignore that request? I ain't running any race, kid. Um, I think it'd be, be terribly rude. Anyone would agree with that? Don't you think it's terribly rude for a Christian who was disqualified by sin that Jesus took care of by his death for that Christian to say, I'm not going to run. Why are you telling me to do that? It's my own life. We're told to run. We are in the race. And we've got a job to do. And what is so wonderfully encouraging is that God given us everything we need to run well. Chapter 10 has laid before us what God wants. Tonight, we're going to see it toward the end of chapter 10, five things that will help us to run the race. In chapter 11, we're going to see people who ran the race and what we can learn from them. In chapter 12, we're going to learn practically how to run. But today is the reminder that we're in a race because of Jesus. And he has told us to run until holiness or heaven, whichever comes first. And neither, I mean, it's going to come when you get to heaven. So let's run. And let's keep running. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe this past week, God worked in your heart and life about some area specific in the race that you haven't been running well. Maybe even you got started and you've already fallen. Or perhaps you haven't gotten started yet. And today, you just needed to be reminded, you're in a race, 
There's something to do and you need to get going. And I believe that there would be people this morning, and I'm not going to have a raise of hands per se, but we're going to have an invitation. And I think there are people that just need to get in the, get in the race who, have, who will realize this morning 